0: You got Francis Bean Cobain. You got three names.
1: I do. Uh, my name is kind of like a Mary Joe or an Emma Rose. Francis it's like Bean. Francis Bean. Who
0: who's the famous Francis Bean, the writer? Right there.
1: Is there a writer named Francis Bean? Um, I'm there? looking at the famous There's
2: Francis There's
0: someone. There is some <laughs>
1: Francis Bean. There's another Bean. Francis Bean?
0: Yeah. That's, oh, well, you know what? I'm thinking of Francis Bacon.
1: Uh, that is not Francis yeah. Bean, but also a condiment of some kind. Yes. Or a food element. A food,
0: yeah,
2: food yeah, element.
1: Food
0: element. Yes. yes, yes. You're a legume. Yes. Now, um, everybody wants to know, have we seen each other since our famous picture where you're a baby? Baby at the MTV Music Awards. you're a baby you're crying and I'm holding you up with your dad and the bandmates and your mom is there. Uh-huh. when did you first we yes and yes we have yes. seen each other since then. but when did you first become aware of that photograph?
1: when I was like five like I <laughs> I, I I firmly believe that, that that photo captures my personality being made like you are the reason I am the way I am um, <laughs> uh yeah like I like my mom had that in a frame by the age of five and like like you are not my only drag queen in my life from a very young age like I had drag nannies like I remember waking up next to a nanny of mine who used to do miss piggy type drag yeah, yeah. in like totally like a red sequin dress and like like snout askew and like I remember like being like Dean like put on beauty and the beast like in drag so, yes. Yeah, that was, that was because
0: Dean's great. name. Um, uh, Loretta Pig. Was that Dean? Yes. yes. Loretta Pig Loretta from Dean. New York. Yes. Yes. Hey, yes.
2: Poor child. yes.
0: Yeah. Now. Um, now, in fact, I, you know, you come from a long line of drag lovers. Uh, your father once told me that when I was performing in Seattle. He and your mother came to see me but they arrived a couple of hours late oh. for the performance.
2: <laughs> so they missed it. But all the it.
0: they yeah. showed up. They yeah. did show up. But this was uh, uh, this club I think it was a very early performance mm-hmm. also and uh uh yeah, but you know, a long line of drag lovers. Yes. Now, do you have drag friends now?
1: I mean, like Tentatively, yes. Like I don't have a specific like like category of human being or friendship yeah. that I try to fill up with drag, but yeah. like I have a, the deepest appreciation for drag culture and yeah. like and, and it's a weird kind of perspective too because I unlike most of the world have had a very early exposure right. to yeah. drag. So it's like so I may be like one of the most qualified judges you've ever had. I think yeah. you probably the longevity right. I've been studying it, you know. Yes. You were
0: <laughs> you are born to the role uh,
1: born into drag yes yeah. <laughs> now
0: you're also a performer and artist what um is there a lot of pressure on you to be
2: really good here step up to the mic we were just oh. talking about that you yeah. are born into ro- rock yeah. and roll, rock, roll yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: whatever yeah. that means yeah uh, like all right so here's the thing like about it like I, I i observe this a lot within my my weird community of celebrity children right mm-hmm. like where like so many people are trying to replicate or redo what their parents have done, right? And, like, as i I was telling michelle earlier like i was really really hesitant about calling my myself a musician for a really long time because Mm -hmm. it's the same thing it's my family business so it's like the same thing as becoming a doctor because your parents are doctors it's the same thing um and also like there's kind of like this like dirty association with like with musicianship in my family just because it hasn't ended particularly well Mm. in that realm Mm. but what i think what i think is making me like and pushing me to kind of go for it is that I don't sound or act or am anything like my parents' artistry. Like Mm -hmm. that is their own thing. And like what my voice sounds like is just not – it's not relevant to what they sound like at all. It just – it doesn't fit into that category. So – just in the sense that I don't sound like anybody else on the planet Earth when I sing is like a – it's a definitive sort of like own space that I'm making for myself just by the tonality of my voice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but,
0: but, but the pressure is there.
1: Absolutely. The, I mean like how do you how do you avoid that? You can't. Yeah. Um, so I, I – as opposed to trying to avoid it or shut it down, I would like to have the capacity to embrace it mm-hmm. and and allow it to thrive around me but not define my artistry. If yes. you can't, be them
2: Join
1: them. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Now, you mentioned just sort
0: of um, the pressure put on the children of very famous artists. You know, Um, are you friends with other children of famous artists?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I grew up with Billy Lord, who's Carrie Fisher's daughter, since, like, I we were, like, six. And we, our mothers were really good friends, Aww. obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and her kind of looked at each other and was like, your mom's crazy. Your mom's crazy. Let's be friends. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and she's, like, she's honestly one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. Like, she she makes me laugh in a gut-wrenching way that I almost experienced with no other human being. Well, her
2: mother was that way. Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Just, like, funny to the literal bone. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. um, Like, it's hard... It's hard to submit yourself into that world because it's so like pretentious and shitty. It's just like it's filled to the brim with the worst yeah. people I've ever met. Is yeah. like that specific group that I'm I'm meshed in with. Yeah. But when you weed out certain like certain types of people and certain people that want to utilize where they come from as a means to justify yeah. like their own their own bullshit then then you can find really beautiful people like Sean Lennon is one of those people where like we just kind of have like a soul connectivity with each other probably because he's one of the only other people on the planet who understands very in close detail what I've gone through mm-hmm. so it's like we've always had like a healthy distance but always like a deep profound love just because we belong to the same kind of category yep. within our category right exactly um, yeah. so yeah you just like it's it's a matter- with like, I think it's a, a matter of just people in general, not specifically celebrity children or celebrities. It's like when you weed out shitty people and you find the good ones. That's where that's where it is. Yeah.
0: Now, you know, you, you you're famous. Born, you were born famous. Yeah,
1: I'm the OG well, Blue Ivy. That's right. You were born <laughs>
0: famous. So <laughs> knowing that, and your your mom knowing that, did you start some type of therapy or some type of um, uh, getting ready for the world? Treatment yeah. before you know very uh, early.
1: Yeah, and and like so, I wasn't told my dad committed suicide until the age of five, and well. so my mom like preemptively sent me to therapy a year before telling me so that I could be eased into that conversation or I something. I think That's actually smart. I do too, because yeah. how do you explain you like can't. you can't really explain that to an eighteen month old? Even you know? five years old yeah. is hard
2: yeah, to it's, grasp. It's
1: hard. Um. So, but like weirdly, I I I found that in my adult life, I'm a very good communicator, and like I'm. I'm people – I've been referred to as a translator. Like I have a really um, good capacity to regurgitate other people's sentiments mm-hmm. in a secular way to make mm-hmm. them understand. And that's absolutely due to my communication school, skills I obtained in therapy. Like mm-hmm. that that was really beneficial about my capacity to like express myself and talk about my emotions and my feelings and my mentality and like in a communicative non-intense way yeah. so yeah it was I think it was really beneficial I suggest everybody go to therapy Amen. Absolutely. are you still in therapy I so the thing about me in therapy is that I feel like because I was preemptively like exposed to that tool set that I don't need a professional setting in order to express myself in that kind of way in that sort of setting because I'm sort of sort of conditioned mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. um, I'll go to therapy every couple years just get like a general checkup and be like hey this is what's going on give me your perspective stranger
3: yeah um,
1: but I have a weird thing with therapists because within two weeks of seeing almost every single therapist I've ever seen since the age of like eleven, they always tell me I should become a therapist. I don't know huh. what that's about. It's a weird like it's a weird career path. They're like, you should become a, a lawyer or a therapist. I'm like, I don't want to. So <laughs> <laughs> it's always there if you do. It's yeah, always right? there. I know and
0: it's always good to have a friend uh, for your friends, to have someone they could talk to and they could feel comfortable Absolutely. with, you know. Did you grow up mostly in Los Angeles or Seattle or where?
1: So uh, I'm twenty five years old and I've lived in twenty seven houses um Whoa. yeah i've lived in i'm like a nomad like a real nomad um so i grew up at the chateau marmont in la like sure. i'm like the fucked up eloise and then i grew up
2: and
1: then i grew up on a farm in olympia washington with my grandma and Very my aunt cool. so it was like it was really contrasted because the farm was not my day-to-day life the farm was like summer and winter break and mm-hmm. that's your dad's family that's my dad's family yeah mm-hmm. and like we had like Goats and horses and a salmon, you know, stream and like wow. willow trees and big property and like I think that's a huge reason as to why I am not as screwed up as maybe I should be. Mm. Uh, is because mm. the, well,
0: there's still time. There is still time. <laughs> yes. There's always
1: time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it, I I really loved. What that provided me with was an understanding of what I want to adopt in my day-to-day life and how I want to conduct myself in a day-to-day life. And that doesn't mean, like, living in seclusion on a farm, but it does mean, like, maintaining normalcy is really important for me. Having a balance. Having a balance, for sure.
0: Tell me your most outrageous ghost story from the Chateau Marmont.
1: I don't know if there's ghost stories I have. I have, like, a lot of, like, random party stories. like it's supposed to be haunted, you know? Is it? Because, like, John Belushi died there, right? Like, I have more, like, ghosts that are people haunting, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Don't (laughs) weigh off. scariest kind. i had a woman once uh, drunkenly wander into my room and we got into a fight for, like, 30 minutes about how this was not her room and she was like, that's my stuff with, like, my suitcase. I'm like, man. She, like, went through my suitcase and was like, this is mine. I was like, no, it's not, ma'am. Let's get you downstairs and some coffee. Oh, Uh, my
0: goodness. (laughs) Now, um, you you're doing music. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your music.
1: Uh, so when people ask me to describe what, what my sound is, I like to describe it as like if PJ Harvey and Fiona Apple got into a fist fight that was broken up by Dolly Parton and Jeff Buckley's crying in the corner.
2: Makes <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, complete... I love it. Yeah.
1: Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the right? way really she does. said it. That's,
0: we get it. It's yeah. fabulous. And so now, are you are you signed to a label or are you doing your own thing?
1: Uh, I I can't speak of okay. those things uh, yep. at the moment. I get it. But, but uh, let's just say it's put into motion yes so, yeah oh that's
0: great that's very exciting yeah. that's really exciting super
1: exciting yeah and so what kind of
0: music do you listen to daily what did you listen to this morning
1: oh, i listened to dolly parton on the way here a lot what of dolly... song was it i listened to uh dumb blonde and oh, joshua yeah. uh-huh. those are like two like real like home down songs yeah. i love um there's this girl named sharon van Eaton who's like kind of like an indie lesbian but i love her i don't know if she's a lesbian actually i should take that back yeah uh, she's very indie um kind of butch aesthetic and she has this really beautiful song cuz called uh every time the sun comes up and it like it's one of those songs that captured me and like Aww. I love yeah. Yeah. um let's see who else I love a lot of like 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 show tunes like i love like barbara streisand like Mm -hmm. anything barbara like there's this uh there's a song called um the something called supermarket something where it's like it's all these like like chinese like supermarket sounds in the background of her voice super super funny Um, wow
0: are you do you listen to your parents music
1: well I, i i have listened to it it's different listening it.
2: It's your mom and, it's dad. My mom and dad. But yeah. it's like also
1: it's like emotional ties because specific stuff will be about like about me or mm-hmm. like referencing something I am very intimately knowledgeable about or involved with. Mm-hmm. Um so it's 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 like I can recognize like specifically like with Kurt's music. Like Kurt's artistry was on another level. And mm-hmm. like that I as a fellow artist, I can recognize like how important and like substantial like his lyrics and his melodies and he was. Mm-hmm. But on an emotional level, it's still, like, this guy who I, who's, like, Santa Claus. You know, like, yeah. right. I'm, like, related to Santa Claus. Yeah. And, like, it's, like, so that's an emotional tie thing. And you have like, his face. And I have his fucking face. As yeah. <laughs> fucked up as <is> that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, you've you've lived a lot already. You've been married and divorced. Yes. And are you – What what do you think that's about? Do you think – what, why did you get married so early?
1: I got married because I met a guy when I was 17 and newly emancipated from my mother who gave me a sense of, like, normalcy and stability. The marriage did. The marriage Well, the idea of marriage. Yeah. The idea of, like, securing a family very early on was the complete opposite of what my mom did. And my dad, like, because my mom got married when she was, like, 29 and, like, had a baby when she was 30. And, like, that's not particularly old. But for me, after, she only had a family life for, like, two years. Wow. And and then she never remarried or anything. So I wasn't ever provided with any kind of stability. And I met this guy who at the time presented himself to be like stable and normal. And like that mutated later on. But like that's OK. Like as people changed in time that's okay too yeah. Um, but but I really was grasping on for some kind of stability anywhere especially coming from like like this is all public knowledge so like I had just emancipated myself from my mom who was like like on she was on one and like that was kind of like and it was headlines it was everywhere headlines it's everywhere important. and she like she was like the kind of drug addict I was was like a very like nobody knew I was a drug addict because I was like at my house by myself like Courtney's a very loud drug addict mm-hmm. and like likes to expose herself in that that way, mm. and like, and her antics are sort of louder than mine, so when I stepped away from all of those antics, I was looking for the most normal thing I could find, and I actually, I got engaged like a, a year after I met him, but we didn't get married for like five or six years, and at the point that we got married, it was less about like wanting to get married and more about like, we've been engaged for so long, this is what we should do, right, you know? Right,
0: right. So you mentioned being an addict. Mm. Uh, are you in a 12-step program?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I have... The thing about the twelve step program specifically for me is that it provides a sense of structure um, that that I I don't. It's like it's almost like school. It's like my brain doesn't necessarily work in the normal confines of societal structure. So I have sober companions and people who are sober that I talk with and communicate with who um, who some do the twelve steps and some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I like to take certain aspects of this 12 steps, like keeping myself accountable, um, you know, channeling my fanatical, addictive personality and tendencies into really healthy things and, and learning how to um, construct my life for a higher spiritual purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, so those are tools I find really helpful. What I don't necessarily find helpful for myself is, is a, Attending meetings every single week because I have a free-flowing understanding of communication with those who are sober in my life. Right. So it's kind of like I have my own meeting set up, mm-hmm. um, just on independently. Yeah. But you do
2: have people to call on if yes, you need them. Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what
0: is what is your spiritual practice?
1: Um, my spiritual practice is being connected to humanity. I guess I'm a secular humanist, but I'm also like I'm also somebody who feels like I feel uncomfortable giving my spirituality a definition or the the higher power that I refer to a definition because I think that it's more complicated than being able Absolutely. to put it in one category, yeah. right? Yeah. So like the way my spiritual practice is having the capacity to sit with myself and feel the earth around me mm. and feel the air around me and connect to whatever is bigger and louder and stronger than I am. Um, and like it's – I don't think you need a specific setting or a practice in order to tap into that and acknowledge it and appreciate it, you Yeah. Know?
0: Well, yeah. Well, acknowledging it is yeah, the practice absolutely. right there. It's yeah. just knowing it's there. Now, we're going to go to break real quick. We've got Francis Bean Cobain with us. We'll be right back after this.
2: Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. Yep. Commission-free, y'all, while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. I mean, that'll make you go broke really fast. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. I love that. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike, view easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular, etc. And with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Guys, this is how you build your future. A lot of people ask, what do I do? You know, how do I start doing this? Set up for my future. This is the way to do it. Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. So. All of you RuPaul, what the tea listeners, go on over to rupaul.robinhood.com, sign up, and you will get a free stock, just like I said, like Apple Ford or Sprint. Help build that portfolio with Robinhood.com. So it's rupaul.robinhood.com.
0: We are back with Francis Bean Cobain. <laughs> you are so wonderful to talk to. You're oh. so deep and rich. And you know, you've you've you fit a lot of life into your 25 years already. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you've
3: so just.
1: You know. I, in my soul, I feel like a 180 year old monk <laughs> and <laughs> a nine year old gay boy. Like, smash into my body. I don't know what the fuck that's about, but like, there it is. That, that's that's who what I works. am. Yeah, you. Um, yeah, like, I. I oftentimes will have a certain amount of like, like even just like the way I, sometimes I communicate. I can watch on other people's faces like excited, like stunned a bit, and it's like it's not deliberate by any means. It's just like I feel like I'm a very good communicator. You are, um, so like I, I, I feel like I'm able to express and reflect my my age and my soul. Communicating outwardly,
2: and there's also the excited little kid in you that I oh, yeah. adore. Yes. yes, I think it's the sweetest, purest little thing. Oh thank
0: you. No. <laughs> Does that uh, communicative skill translate into your lyrics?
1: Well, no, my community. <laughs> yes, I mean I'm an abstract lyricist, though. Like I, I wrote a lyric the other day that said, um, have, you, have "You you know, like the term this negative is- Nancy." Yeah. Um, so I came up with the the term stable sable. So um, I, I wrote a lyric that said sable sable. Sold her, sold her heart. No one asks her why she hides it in a casket in her house in a box. No. So it's like it's very I'm very abstract in my yeah. lyrics but yeah. I, I um,
2: Well that's your PJ Harvey reference. That's my PJ it? Harvey yeah.
1: reference. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and I I in art like in, in my life I like to communicate in a very like secular specific deliberate way because like when you talk to somebody it's different than when you communicate with them through art. Mm-hmm. When you're communicating with them through art no matter what you do no matter the message you're trying to convey ultimately it's their own interpretation of that and like and there's this weird contract that we sign as artists to release our art into the custody of everybody else and have no control how they receive it or how they perceive it. crazy yeah it's it's super bizarre that something that you invest all your energy and time and emotion into becomes somebody else's property and means something completely different to them right like that's 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 why i love music though that's why i connect with music is because what was intended as one way of thinking or one way of expressing means something completely different to me.
0: Sure, absolutely. The pH balance changes with whoever is the custodian of it at that point, which is the beauty of it. Are you able to let it go like that? Are you able to allow people to think whatever they want to think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I get very unattached to ideas after I've released them. Mm. Um, And it's almost like a conditioning. Maybe it's a defense mechanism, actually. Maybe it's my way of trying to trying to say, okay, now that I've done this, I release it into the world, and I, it's no longer my responsibility how people... It's healthy, though, it, yeah, actually. It's the yeah.
2: only way to do it's it. It's not like an audition. It's like audition, cleaning house. You, know? yeah. Yeah. you let like, it go, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen.
1: Exactly. Or spring cleaning. It's like yes. the same kind of thing where you just have to let stuff go. It's a smart girl yeah. you are. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, you know, you are a very smart person. You're a lovely person. How difficult is it to find other people who... Who can get it? You know, we just take for granted that there are all these fabulous, smart people out there. But you
1: know what? There aren't a lot. No, you're there right. There aren't a lot. There's not a ton. No. Uh, I think, I think when you are fabulous and smart and in touch with what the it is, you can almost immediately recognize that in other people. Of course. Mm. And it's it's more often I can recognize that connectivity with other people who understand it than than I than I do trying to oppose or, or, define anybody else who doesn't get it like those mm-hmm. people kind of fall in the background to me yeah, right. yeah, yeah. like it's like okay like I'll be courteous and kind to you but like I am also I'm I'm the worst liar I've ever met in my entire <laughs> life like I just I wear it on my face I also like am the worst ex- exaggerator of all time so like <laughs> like as opposed to being like oh I can't make it tomorrow I have like a meeting that came up oh. I'll be like a raccoon <laughs> <laughs> broke shit into my in house my <laughs> and shit on my head
2: and shaved my head oh my god oh. bad yeah. you guys and those damn dingles you got those dingles <laughs> A- a- baby. Yes, yes. But you know what? Like attracts like. Yeah, it's that, true. at the end of the day, yeah, that is true. You but know?
0: that's still, you know, it's still very frustrating to live in a world where you think, oh God, why can't we? The whole race of humans just, um, just advance a little bit further. It feels, I'm, mean, you know, the I, you know, my uh, substance abuse had to do with just it being so. Oh my with God. Everything. The first
1: year of sobriety is the most fucking boring time I've ever had. Like, I like almost pulled my hair literally out of my head. Like, and, and like, not even just like, 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 just living in the present sometimes yeah. is so fucking boring and like you just have to learn how to how to condition that boredom into something productive create your own magic
2: Yes, fill in that boredom with something creative because there's a lot of kids out there who are struggling with or not
0: fill it in and and learn to live with with the silence and live with the stillness which is where a lot of magic happens in that stillness absolutely but you know so so you know you're very famous how do you find people who you can be friends with who you who aren't out to look, looking for some free ride or, you know, some acclaim because they know you.
1: Well, you know what? It's it's impossible to suss out all those people because a lot of people are really good fakers. And you're still yeah. finding
2: out now. Yeah. I know I am. I'm going to be 50 and I'm still finding out now in yeah. life. Oh, my God. I am not who I thought you I, You are not who I thought uh-huh. you were. Right. And I know you are, too. Sure. So yeah. just yeah. like you're saying...
1: It's, it's. I think it's impossible to – I don't think there is a formula of understanding how to, like, decide people are good and people are bad. I think it's a matter of experiencing people and having the openness to experience people despite the fact that people continue to fuck you over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I – one of the things that I really love about myself that took a long time to love is that – Despite the fact that a lot of people have taken advantage of me and fucked me over and really manipulated everything around me, I am still undeterred from people. I really love people and I mm. love connecting with people in really authentic ways. And like, I I don't think that there's any. I mean, maybe there is, but like, it would be a really horrible thing to deter me from my connectivity with people and love for people. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's how you you you. Get out the bad ones is having the
2: capacity to accept accept, acceptance into you. You know, I think what differentiates you from when you were a kid, uh, there's a lot of celebrity kids out there. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got Mm -hmm. a lot out Mm -hmm. there. You've Mm -hmm. got ones on the level of Lisa Marie Presley, Mm -hmm. you know, and then Madonna's kids. But then I I was just sitting here thinking, listening to you talk, there is a different obsession with With Kurt Cobain. That's true. And Courtney Love, but Kurt is like a god. And and the way Elvis was in many levels, I can (laughs) Mm -hmm. imagine, for Mm -hmm. Lisa. Or like John Lennon, yeah. John Lennon, but it's a different time, you see. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because now, and your generation, and you're much younger than those kids, is um, obsessive, more obsessive. So I can't imagine the energy being thrown onto you from Kurt's fans and Courtney's fans. Well, I think
1: think there's a desperate need for a lot of that fan base to project onto me that I am the second female coming of Kurt like that mm-hmm. is a really big need that needs to be fulfilled yeah. and like that people are going to project whatever they want to onto me that doesn't mean I have to abide by it at yeah. all yeah. so it, so it, you know if, if people need that outlet in order to look at my music or look at my art and say it's just like your dad if they need that that's okay if that's right. the association they make that's a pretty damn good association like yeah. there are worse things to be called sure. yes. um, but the reality is, is that like for people who actually give my My art or music or voice a chance I think I think what keeps people interested is that it's it's not replicating somebody else's thing Mm -hmm. it's It's, it's really grounded in like like some people like talk about like their brand right my brand is authenticity like that is what I'm trying to like provide in the service of this world because it's so very lacking like like in the age of the Kardashian like and that's fine they specifically fill that role for a reason Mm -hmm. but everything is so saturated and filtered and Conceived and and what people really are thirsty for, I think, um, in an artistic way, is is being able to see somebody for who they are, yeah. all of the messy bits involved. You know, mm-hmm. not only that, mm-hmm. achievability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's something
2: to be said for me listening to Francis's music and going, oh my god. I can look like her, I can sound like her, she's one of us, yeah. she's mm-hmm, real, mm-hmm. she's singing about real shit. I might not understand why she has a casket in her house in a box, but I can understand <laughs> the emotion that went yeah. into it, you know what I mean? <laughs> now we talked a little bit about your mom,
0: what's your relationship like with your mom?
1: My mom, when my mom is on like a right and healthy path, she is one of the most like fulfilling, beautiful, intelligent, kind people I've ever met the thing with somebody who's as smart as she is is that she doesn't know how to sit with herself because she's so deeply empathetic and so intelligent that when she has to just sit inside her skin she doesn't know how to handle that Mm. um so so she's highly self-destructive as a result of not knowing what to do with all that information and feeling Mm -hmm. um i i am somebody who only wants to to provide the role for her as somebody who loves her and supports her and has an non judgmental understanding of empathy and compassion that maybe nobody else in her life has. I don't want to control her. I don't wanna I don't want her to do one thing or another. And I also don't expect that my opinions are gonna deter her decisions. I just want her I want our relationship to be based on like open communication and love and truth. And truth yeah. and, and awareness about how our actions affect the other person. So, you know, she's a really good person and like, I, I think that, I think this is like what I'd like to call the era of balance and Mm -hmm. I hope that we're like bringing in the era of balance. So, that's a very
0: evolved uh, point of view. When did you land on that uh, relationship with your mother? Oh my
1: God, it took so long. I was so fucking bitter and angry and upset and resentful for a really long time. Um, But, I, I had a transformative shift in thinking, right? When bad stuff happens, as opposed to thinking, "Why is this happening to me?" I started to think, "What is this trying to teach me?" Hello, right? it's it's transformative, like yeah. it's changed everything. Like I, I had a really bad month last month. Like my dog died, I broke up with somebody, I have to move houses. Like it was a bad fucking month, but. Throughout the entire thing, I was like, this sucks, it hurts, I don't want to be here, but this is going to be a bigger lesson with yeah. perspective yeah. in two weeks' time, this is going to be a lesson. I'm gonna take something and learn something from this. Yeah. So it's it's that shift of thinking really has informed how I have all my relationships.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Mama's not, the, not your teacher.
2: Well, yeah. exactly.
0: That is the only way to do get through this life Absolutely. is to understand that there are there's magic out there and there are clues. I feel like Jessica Fletcher. Murder, she sat down and she wrote. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) My job is to decipher the clues. The universe has stage direction yeah. for you and most people are are missing it and that's fine that's fine but I'm out to seek and find out what it's trying to tell me you know right now as we're taping this we're, we're in Mercury retrograde I know
1: <sighs> so like legit I like I never think astrology applies to me I'm always like it's silly like a great assault right but like I swear to fucking God Mercury retrograde is like a real thing it's like a real
2: thing <laughs> and the older you get you feel it more I sure <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we just
0: came out of a lunar eclipse just a minute ago. So all, and it of felt that great. Does, well, all of that is applicable. And, and it's interesting to live on this planet long enough to sort of figure out how things work and how it feels in your body, what yeah. your body feels like in this human realm and mm-hmm. to make peace with your mother or your father, yourself, mm-hmm. and to understand the proclivities of, you know, why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Are you still a seeker? Are you still finding new things out about yourself?
1: Oh, my God, yes. All the time. And, like, I, I – my favorite thing in the world is learning. Like, like, loving and learning are my two, bread and butter. Like, uh, I – I think my life will be – I will be ready to die the day I'm like, okay, I've learned it all. Like mm-hmm. I have nothing else to learn. And I hope that never happens. I, I really – every single day is like this process of of knowledge and like having the ability to experience things and see things and do things that inform my knowledge and like mm-hmm. my spiritual self. And yeah. like that – it's so – like. I think it's essential to to our essence as people. Like I, I've never related to people who who have no desire to learn beyond themselves or their own ego. Like that is completely foreign to me. Because if I had it my way, I'd just be a floating brain, you know, yeah. like just like feeling, <laughs> seeing, floating brain. But as it, as it turns out, that's not the deal. So like as as a compromise in a way, I've really found a love for fashion and for like for like artistic fashion mm-hmm. and like makeup because I have to compromise and express myself in some way. And since I can't get what I want, I will I will glam it up in the craziest way. I can I love that. <laughs>
0: now, we're going to go to break into it, but I want to ask you, did you go to regular school when you were living with your grandparents?
1: No, because I, I wasn't in a – with them consistently enough to do regular school. But when I did do regular school, I dropped out when I was 15 because social – constructs like school weren't I couldn't apply it to my brain. Like they like I was reading like David Foster Wallace and Nietzsche in ninth grade and they were asking me to read nineteen eighty four, which I'd read three years prior and yeah. I felt like I was de educating myself yes. by yeah. participating in. It. Also I never need to use calculus. I have a phone. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To use it. Uh, you sound so. like my kid. <laughs> so did you,
0: you eventually took the GED. I took the
1: GED to- and I I illegally audited some uh some Columbia classes that they yeah. didn't know I was attending. You know, and yeah. um I I just i have always been really. Uh, thirsty for knowledge and I love reading. Reading is one of my favorite things in the world and exploring and um, and I was self-educated in a big way and also like I had different problems than kids going to school so like some kids would be like fuck I didn't do like my essay and I'd be like fuck I had to call the paramedics my mom's stomach pumped last night shit <laughs> right, you know like right. it's just a different set of priorities <laughs> and, man oh you had <laughs> a different that, life that's a, a
2: different a life <laughs> we got
0: Francis being Cobain with us we're gonna take a break we'll be right back after this
2: It's time to talk about one of my favorite things that we ever talk about on this podcast, Casper Mattress. It all began here, you guys. Casper, as you know, is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Sink and bounce—that's the name of my new album. Ah, look out, big Frida! They also have breathable design to help you sleep cool at night because a lot of people, you know, you get hot at night, but not with Casper. They regulate your body temperature throughout the night, and they even arrive right to your doorstep in a transportable box. And we all. Love a box that's transportable, let's be honest. And Casper isn't just a mattress company, they also offer sheets, pillows bed frames and even dog beds. You guys can go to my social media, my Instagram. I always post pictures of Bella. Romeo loves it too, but Bella, she's my 13-year-old American bulldog. She is obsessed with her Casper mattress now. Trust me, I've had beds for her. I've spent so much on beds for this dog for over the years, Tempur-Pedic, blah, 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 blah. She is. This is her throne. She does not get out of her Casper dog mattress. She is obsessed with it. Now, besides the original Casper, they offer two other mattresses. You've heard us talk about the Wave. That's the new one. And we we, both Rue and I have it and we love it. That's a patent pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. This is the top line there. The Essential has the streamlined design at a price that will not keep you up at night. See what we did there absolutely adore all of them and you could be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk free sleep on it trial and did I mention free shipping and returns throughout the US and Canada get $50 towards select mattress purchases by visiting casper.com slash rue and using the offer code RU at checkout that's casper.com slash RU terms and conditions apply we love you Casper (laughs)
0: we are back with Francis Bean Cobain we're talking about everything yeah you said (laughs) you Have a love for fashion and colors and music and laughing and dancing and singing and everything yes. like that. Has it always been that way? Were, were you ever no. like goth, dark? Oh my
1: god, yes! Well, actually, we <laughs> talked <laughs> about this about, about, or, I was like a hardcore, like emo kid. Like I loved my Chemical Romance so
2: much. I was telling her about Lily's <laughs> obsession with them and Gerard Way, and she made me go to the solo stuff, which she was like, "This is not." And I was like, "No, this is it." <laughs> and she was saying she became so obsessed with them that she became friends. No, friend I like. With okay, him.
1: so when I was twelve, I met him like I <laughs> weirdly at a show, like he micro like a, m- romance. My my
0: chemical chemical romance. romance. My chemical romance. My chemical romance. I
1: met him at a show and he was really nice to me and I was like, I'm gonna be his friend. Yeah, like, I figured it out. And like now I'm really good friends with his wife and his daughter. He's like he's like family, like really yes. good. But like I was a shitty emo kid for mm-hmm. sure. And like really mm-hmm. into like like my chem and like descendants and like misfits and like I was just like I was I was really angry and confused and angsty and so I like I was got really obsessed with horror movies and comic books. And, like, just I really um, related to, like, over-the-top fantasitical stuff because at times that felt more embedded in reality than my own reality. Because, like, oftentimes people are like, how are you? And I'll be like, I have to, like, preface the answer with I know this sounds like the plot to a movie. Uh-huh. But
2: so – but the hills really do have eyes. But they really do. Yeah. Yeah, and the people um, live under the stairs. Yeah, they
1: <laughs> yeah. um, but uh but so like gravitating towards comic books and horror and dark music was like this ultimate form of escapism because it was so on the polar opposite end of reality. Mm-hmm. And that felt more real. Mm-hmm. Um so mm-hmm. I was like I was really dark. I would you know, I would even say I was really dark until like the age of like twenty-four. Like I was That was like last year. That was like last year. Right. Literally, like I like I was really okay with like this facade of like. Like being like fragile and smoking and like mm-hmm. stringy hair. Like I was okay with like kind of buying into like the grunge aesthetic because people were shoving it onto me. I was like, fuck you guys, I'm gonna do it anyway. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I'll take that power back. Sure. Like now I find that like like before like like you know even two years ago, three years ago, admitting that I love Dolly Parton was kind of unpunk rock, even yeah. though she's probably the most punk rock oh, person in the world.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: but like so so it took it took getting clean To have the capacity to grow and then it took a near-death experience to really have a shift in thinking Um, and that only happened in September of 2017, my Mm near-death experience. So Mm -hmm. I like I really accepted like like lightness into my life and like color and and vibrancy and laughter as like not something to be associated with with like like. Being, shameful, shameful
0: yeah, or, or yeah. ignoring the, yeah. the bigger picture or like
1: or just focusing on the negative because that served my victimhood more. Yes, 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 yeah.
0: yes, yes. Well, it's interesting because what you just described is really a rite of passion, you know, of passage. You know, all of us, we have to go through that part of it and walk through the fire to get to the other side and to actually own mm-hmm. being Light and understanding that um, life is to be enjoyed. Yeah. But you can do the other thing too. Yeah. But, you know, I I know personally I had to walk through all that darkness to get to the other
3: side. Absolutely. And I
1: think, I think walking through that darkness has given me a sense of empathy and compassion and an awareness that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Like I think it was completely necessary to inform the person that I am. I had to go through the darkest stuff that even most people can't comprehend like no. and like I wouldn't change it for anything because I have come to a place where I really love who I am and like I feel like I'm thriving in myself and like that I think that's the ultimate goal as a part of the human experience is to get to the point where you can sit and say I am thriving and I am in love with myself mm-hmm. and not in a narcissistic way in an all accepting way.
0: Well that is that is why the the Christ figure is such a dominant Figure in our culture is because of the crucifixion and then the resurrection. And mm-hmm. what you're describing is the resurrection yes. after all of the the darkness. And mm-hmm. it's so so important. Now you you mentioned um, fashion. Uh, did you did you sort of shun that side of your your what you liked before? Oh yeah, you did
1: because there's something. Uh, edgier about not giving a fuck like really not giving a fuck and yeah. like and like just be like I'm just going to wear this t-shirt and like these sweats and like that's going to be what it is and <laughs> like know. I Every still day.
4: do I yeah. still yeah. do okay, that good.
1: but like I have uh, I have uh, occasions where I can step out of it right. yeah. um and like that actually has opened up a whole new like aesthetic understanding cuz once I embraced that I liked certain aesthetics and certain things it informed my own aesthetic which other people respond to mostly in a positive way or weirded out I get told I look very artistic all the time. you yeah. look very artistic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How an d- artist yeah, right. <laughs> Yes.
0: You know, one of the the, the biggest challenges for people uh, who see all the colors and hear all the sounds is to avoid being too cynical. How do you avoid cynicism? Because the cynicism is a real trap because I think there are different stages in in the evolution of humans on this planet. First, first you get angry because you realize this is all a hoax, mm-hmm. then you become cynical and bitter. But then the next phase is what you just described, which is opening up and walking through the darkness to get to the other side, which is like, oh yes, it's an illusion. It's a hoax. And so, well, let's have fun with it then. Yeah. Don't take it seriously at, at all. Absolutely. So how do you avoid the cynicism?
1: I had to go through it. And that's exactly what you po- you just touched on is that you go through the stages of life, right? You get anger and then you get cynical and then you get bitter and then you get good um, if you allow yourself to. Like I avoid – I avoid I guess I or I guess I maintain not being cynical is a because I've been through it but also because I want in myself to have the capacity to experience the ultimate joys that life has to yeah. give and cynicism doesn't serve that no, at all no. so it's it's a, it's a, it deters you from from that ultimate goal and so like keeping that mind is super healthy and important because avoiding cynicism informs how I experience joy.
0: Mm, yeah, because the cynicism and the ego stands in the doorway of all of that joy yes. and a- allowing yourself to experience what that's like and to feel goofy and to feel like a dork yes. and all of that good stuff, which is what life is all about. The
1: salt of the earth. It's
0: the salt of the earth over <laughs> here, Francis. And you know, what's interesting about that too is that, you know, I tell lots of people, anyone who listen that, you know, uh, especially here on this show on Drag Race, with the contestants I say you know the parts of yourself that you feel embarrassed about or that you that you feel like uh, you don't want to show people th- those are the parts that allow us to fall in love with absolutely.
1: you absolutely those
0: are the parts that make you an interesting character yeah. you know have you studied acting
1: no, I, like I said, I'm the worst liar I know. So I, I, it's very foreign to me to, like, say other people's words with other people's idea of who I should be. I, I tried one audition once and I walked away from it and I was like, that's so soul crushing. Like, how do people oh, oh, yeah. do that? Yeah, it it's soul crushing. It and so, like, I don't think I could ever, I don't think, I'll never say never, but it would be very hard for me to, to, rely on anyone but my own authentic self like I am very comfortable with who I am and what the art I have to offer mm-hmm. is but relying on somebody else's idea of who I should be with somebody else's words is a f- it's a foreign concept that maybe I'm not as comfortable with I can't yeah. say that I would never consider it but it's it's unlikely yeah so.
0: yeah how are you with money? are you uh, good with money?
1: well yeah I am now uh, nobody ever because I didn't exactly come from the best example of how to handle that mm-hmm. um, nobody ever sat me down and was like this is how you handle like the grandparents didn't no because my grandma never had money you know what I mean like the only money she got was from my mom mm-hmm. um, and so it was like very um, it was not it wasn't she never got like such a large sum where it's like and also I don't think you can really how does somebody who lives on a farm like, and, and comes from really simple stuff talk to a trust fund baby yeah. you know what I mean yeah. like, like, like what is she gonna do be like you should keep a checkbook like do I need to keep a checkbook yes the answer is yes but at, at the time thinking about that like being like 15 16 with somebody who has the means that I do Mm -hmm. it's just like it's you can't ration with that until unless somebody wants to be rationed with and so I I would say in the last like two years I've taken real accountability of like like looking at every single thing and talking with like you know the people in charge of my money and having in-depth meetings and like and also like recognizing that you don't have to live lavishly in order to live well like it's not necessary to have like uber xx or whatever the hell every Mm -hmm. single time you're going five minutes away you know what I mean like get the Uber economy if you're going 10 minutes away like fucking it's okay you know yeah, like it's yeah, alright yeah. Um. and like obviously certain people reach a level of success where they like have earned the ability to go beyond that and just be like yeah like I've worked really hard like let me have a car service every single day but uh, my relationship to money is different because I didn't earn it. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like like this big, giant loan that I'll never get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's like I have a almost foreign relationship to it or like a guilt because it feels like money from somebody that I've never met, let alone haven't earned myself. Oh, my yeah. fuck. Yeah. yeah, it's a total you know? my fuck. Has yeah.
0: It's changed, though, over the years, your, your oh, yeah. relationship to abundance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because because when like like the one way i was shown how to live was live in excess like mm. live beyond your means and live in excess right and it took me stepping away from that and getting sober in order to realize that that, that m- no matter how much money you think you have it's not permanent yeah. and like you have to you have to factor in how you are with it and how the world is with it and and how to find a balance i think it's all about balance it's
0: all about balance yes. it is and and people out there listening right now that the most important thing you can find in your life is a balance and finding a way to maintain a balance. And mm-hmm. uh, that's why I asked about a spiritual practice or whether it's therapy, whether it's s- whatever you can do, mm-hmm. swimming, uh, deep breaths, whatever you Pet can do. Dog, Pet something. your dog. Pet your dog. You know, that is the key to life. It has been such a joy talking oh, to you. Oh, thank you for so having refreshing. me. So you, refreshing. And you helped out so many listeners out oh, there. Good, who are big fans of you and have watched you grow up and we're all so proud of you. Oh. And what you've become, and we are looking forward to everything that you do in the future because we're rooting for you.
1: Thank we you. Can't you wait so for much. your music. Thank yes. You guys, like this, this whole day, and like experiencing this with you guys is like one of the most magical experiences. You both are so wise and open and compassionate, and like, and what you've done for this culture and society is like it's unparalleled. No one's ever done what you've done before, and that's. That is all on you, and that's amazing, and I thank you for that.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, we're going to go to break real quick, and then we'll be back after this. Thank you, Francis
2: Bean Cobain. Yummy, yummy in my tummy. You know what we're talking about, Blue Apron. Looking to switch up your cooking routine? We'll start this year off fresh with the help from Blue Apron, your secret to easy meal planning. Literally, there's one outside my door as we speak right now. You can choose from a variety of plans, including their kid-approved family plan, the vegetarian plan, or the brand new Weight Watchers freestyle plan. Learn how to poach, saute, and chop like a pro, all from the comfort of your own kitchen. You can create healthy. Healthy habits this year by learning how to cook at home. So many of us go, Oh, I don't know how to cook. I'm just going to go out to a restaurant. Not only does that waste money, you don't know where the ingredients are coming from. And it's certainly not going to be the healthiest choice. Blue Apron offers a variety of meals, including all those things that I'm talking about, and they make you super, super happy. I cook with them at least three nights a week, and if I'm not here, my husband does it. It's so much easier. You see everything pre-divided. You have the little recipe card in front of you. I absolutely adore the fact that Blue Apron takes the chore out of meal prep, because usually you usually have to go to the grocery store. You have to figure out what you need to get, and these... Blue Apron, these are meals worth sharing on social media in as little as 20 minutes. I absolutely adore it. Each week, we get a variety of delicious meals to choose from. Now, listen, my husband and my kids will go on to the app, and they'll choose what they want every week. If they don't like what they're planning to give us, they just swap them out. It's that easy. Check out this week's menu and get $60 off at blueapron.com slash rue. That's blueapron.com slash Blue Apron, a better way to cook. We've got Ellen Pompeo
0: here. She's, of course, you know, uh, from Grey's Anatomy, executive producer. Grey's Anatomy. Yes. How long have you been doing that show?
5: 15 seasons.
0: Oh, my, my God. Goodness. Now, when you guys film this thing, do, do you, have you had the same dressing room for 15 seasons?
5: I have. I have a trailer.
0: Oh, it's just a trailer.
5: Actually, that's a lie. It's a trailer, but it's, it has not been the same one. We got new trailers probably around season five. Right. Yeah. And I redo mine because I'm a fan of interior design, uh-huh. as you know. As I
0: know. Yes. I
5: redo mine every couple of years. I just redid it. I yeah. had um, Jeremiah. Uh huh. Um, Nate Burkes and Jeremiah. Yes, of course. Yes, of yes, 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 yes. I had Jeremiah do my trailer and my office this year. And and what lot do you guys shoot on? On a lot called Prospect Studios. I don't where that is, which is in Los Feliz, very close to. Oh, is that where ABC, the soap operas used to be? it It is. What, General as well. Hospital and all. Yeah, it's still they, there. Yeah. And American Bandstand. It's like down the weird street oh, wow. that's like
2: residential, yeah, right? Weird yeah. Street. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And that's kind of close to you. I mean, not to give away where you live.
2: Exactly. But, I was going to say the same but, thing. But yeah. Yes, it is. It's no, a. that's great. Yeah,
5: five minutes away. Yeah, especially Amazing. since you don't have
0: to go over the hill because, you know, for people who don't live in Los Angeles, Parking and traffic are factor hugely in the choices and decisions you make on a daily basis. Sometimes I will not go to certain places because, A, there's no parking, or um, I have to go over the hill, or I have to go through the Koanga Pass for, for something. You know right. what I mean?
5: Yeah, you literally have to plan your day. Well, I can't go to the valley at 3 yeah. because nope. the traffic is too bad. I have to go at noon. It's June. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and you know, I know you're from Boston, but have you always known how to drive a car? Yes, yeah, because if you, a lot of people come here and they don't know how to drive a car in Los Angeles.
5: I After Boston, I moved to Miami and then I moved to New York City and I always drove. Um, you had a car in New York also? I did have a car in New York also. It's just expensive. and it, Yeah, I used to live on the West Side Highway, yeah. down over there by Florent. Yeah, that's where and, I live. And there was plenty of um, parking down yeah. there in the Meatpacking District. Back then, it wasn't what it is now. Right, right. And, you know, the only thing you had to worry about was drag queens who wanted my shoes. Yes, but or... They didn't oh want my car. Or the or Johns five. who loved them. There yes, you go. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there was plenty of parking down there. And so, yeah. wh- what years did you live in New York? Um, I, let's see... I think I'm, I lived in Miami from 1991 90, 91 to 94, mm-hmm. and then I lived in New York from 95 to 2000. Did you go to Miami mm. for school? I went to m- Miami because all my queen friends moved down there, and Boston was freezing, uh-huh. yeah. and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I graduated high school in 87, and they all moved down there, and they said, come down. And so I went down one winter, and I stayed at the Fountain Blue Hotel. Oh, uh-huh. And there was nowhere to work. There was one gay bar.
2: That wait a minute. There was a few in ninety uh, one. In
5: ninety one, there was there was like one gay bar. There, there was, was the club Warsaw Ballroom. Then there Warsaw was Club Balls.
2: New. There yeah. was Club Deco.
0: Club Deco was around the block. It was at Cameo. Wait a minute. I
2: know Club New and Club Deco were there. They weren't necessarily gay bars, but they were gay friendly.
0: Right, right, right. Warsaw was the big Warsaw one. Warsaw was. Well,
2: I was a
5: cocktail waitress by trade in Boston,
2: yeah. and oh. there was no straight
5: club for me to work at. Mm. Right, so. Um, I was in the lobby of the Fountain Blue Hotel deciding what to do, and a scorpion walked across my foot, and I thought, I'm out of here. There's nowhere for me to work, and there's scorpions. I'm going home. And I went back to Boston for like nine months. Yeah. The next winter, my friends called me up and said, um, my friend Desi um, called me up and said, there is a straight club opening. (laughs) We have an apartment for you in this building. It was called the Dunia. Uh It was on Collins right in back of the police station. He said, come back. So I went back and I got a job at that club. What what club was that? It was uh, Rebar. Rebar. And there was one in New York. Uh Yeah, I've heard of it. The brothers, the Dorian brothers owned Uh it. Uh They owned one in New York. And then I worked at a club called uh, Velvet and then Sinatra Bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a scorpion. The scorpion. You are Scorpio.
0: You're Scorpio. I am. Yes, and you- but
2: I still was afraid of that. And you took well, <laughs> t- that you. as a sign. I had one walk yes. into my house a couple years ago. A scorpion. Front door yeah. in really? Calabasas. Right in. No. Yeah.
5: Yep. yeah. There's a there's a place um, in Mexico called Quimala that I went to with our friend Martin. Mm-hmm. And there's it's this beautiful resort outside of Manzanilla, and they have ditches in front of all the. Uh, guest rooms, and the so the scorpions can't get into your room. They yeah. will fall in the ditch and they won't be able to get they out. Can't climb. And the staff of the hotel goes around every night with a blue light, yeah, and they look in the in the trench,
4: right?
2: For,
5: and they collect all the scorpions and they put them in a jar and they burn them. Oh, really? Yes. So, it's, oh, it's called so Queen Quim- Quimala. Quixmala. Quimala. It's it's Q-U-I-X. Do you recommend it? I do. It's. Um, Scorpion free f- is
2: what it is. Scorpion
5: free, <laughs> although not. Uh-huh. But uh, it's an amazing um, wildlife preserve. And at the time when I went with Martin, it was not open to the public. You had to have an invitation to mm-hmm. go there. Quimala. And Quimala. And now it is open to the public because I saw it as Condonast's yeah. like one of the best resorts of 2018 or something. So I know now it's been open to the public. What town is it in? It's... Kareas. C U I X M A L A. Yes, and there's an Instagram you can follow on Instagram. You know, I always
0: want to go to, to on vacation to Mexico. I never do. I never uh, do. I you know, but you know, I'm from San Diego. So, you know, for for growing up in San Diego, I never think to go to Mexico it's like for five vacation away. because <laughs> it was like going home, you yeah, know. Right. But um I always want to find places to go. You know, um uh Rebecca Romaine uh, goes to some place down there. I think the translation is I think it, but she says what it is, is it's this resort that nobody f- knows about and goes to. I can't remember what the, ta- what the town is, but it sounded really good. W- where do you recommend going? on vacation too I know obviously a lot of people are listening to us but uh, what's your favorite place to go to on vacation you got kids you have a husband do you take the kids with you on vacation yes Ru is yes. so
2: hung up on this he cannot he asks me all the times I bring my kids they're 16 and 18 one's going to college this year he's like you're going to bring them with you and I'm like we like to do that yeah but you yes. live with them you, if you're going on vacation it. why would you take them with because you because we enjoy them I,
0: I simply just do not believe Roo. that I just wow. cannot believe that.
5: Well, what I do is a couple of things. So this summer, when I break, we did a few things. We took the kids on one vacation to Europe. We took them to Italy and to London. Nice. And then we came home. Uh-huh. And then Chris and I went to the south of France by ourselves now, for see, a week. I like the way that sounds. <laughs> and then we came back and then we took the kids to uh, New York City and the Bahamas yeah. for a month. How many kids? Three. Three kids? Yes. I met just the one. You met Stella Luna, yes. 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 And are
0: they older or younger than her?
5: They're younger than her. Okay. Yes, I have a four-year-old and a
2: two-year-old son. Oh, my
5: God, Ellen. Do you know who the fathers are? Yes, I do, thank God. You do? Yes, he's very handsome. (laughs) I'm a fan.
2: You're a step ahead of me,
5: kid. Yes, yes.
0: So, okay, so you're going on these vacations, you work, 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 you have the weekends off, you redesign your, your trailer, and you're at the same lot. You guys have been there the whole 15 seasons we on have. the same lot. Yes. That's brilliant.
5: You know, it's not a typical choice for an actor, Rue. No. You know, everyone's always sort of chasing the next best thing, chasing yeah. trophies. How do I stay hot? How do I stay relevant? Yeah. But I started the show when I was 33 years old. Mm. And I... I, I, I sort of knew, you know. I've always had the gift of intuition, intuition, mm-hmm. intuition. Oh, I like that into though. That's hot. Um, my husband calls me a witch.
4: Uh huh.
5: And I knew that I wanted to have, you know, a really stable home life. I didn't have a great home life growing up. My mother died when I was young mm. and I didn't have a great childhood so I knew that I wanted to have a really happy although I did not want kids, funny mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to have a really stable home life because I think as an actor you kind of need that yeah. because at some point the attention and the fame yeah. goes away yeah. and then what do you have? What do you got? So I, I knew that it's important to have something real, right? Mm-hmm. Because fame and attention isn't really real. So I, I, I just knew that uh, you I know, I wanted to have a family, and I wanted to have some stability in my life, and I wanted my relationship to to, to work and mm-hmm. stay. And I didn't want to be traveling and mm-hmm. going to this show or that show, and because you never know, you get a job, you don't know where it shoots. That's right. You don't know how long you have to live there for. It's a gypsy life. Yeah. And um, I, I, I just crave the stability. Uh, and, and, and it's worked out very well for me. It
0: really has worked out very well for you. The show's been on for a long time. Yeah. You are the are, you are the highest paid actress on a drama in television.
5: Yes, I think in network television, I think the girls from Big Little Lies—they don't do nearly as many episodes as yeah, I do. Yeah, but I think uh, those girls from Big Little Lies are getting a million dollars an episode. Oh my so, God! Well, there's
2: only like six <clears throat> episodes. Yeah,
5: they have me beat because they don't do as many right. episodes. But I, yeah, I'm very—I've—I've uh, I've been very fortunate in many ways. You know, um, I've been fortunate to have uh, women who are more powerful than me support me and. Um, And and show me what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. And and I'm trying to pay that forward, and I'm trying to do the same thing for other women.
0: Yeah. And you've got a production company um, um, over at – production deal at ABC. Now, what's – Station 19? Is that what it's called? Yes,
5: that's the Grey's Anatomy spinoff, Station 19. Yes. And that's –
0: you are an executive
5: producer on that. I am a co-EP. Okay. There's a distinction. (laughs) Yes, there's an ep co-EP. Yeah. Producer, yeah. Yeah. And so,
0: now, um, did you start out as an actor? I did.
5: And- uh, well, I started out as a hustler. Yeah, yes, okay. You
0: know. Well, there there you go. You know, I,
5: I I grew up in Boston. You know, I was kind of, you know, I was raised around a lot of gangsters and a lot of bad guys. And uh, I was, uh, you know selling vodka slushes outside Fenway Park when I was 14 years old, wow. you know, so, and, and, you know, my mother died and when I was young. And so I had a lot of people raise me and, um, one of my older sisters, you know, all her friends were Queens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was, I, I grew up around all these amazing, creative, fantastical guys mm-hmm. who just, um, celebrated me and, 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 and showed me what true courage is. And true courage is, is the courage to be yourself. Yeah. And so um, I only have a 12th grade education, but I had the best street education any person could ever have. Because I learned from so many different types of people. Mm-hmm. From gangsters, from drag queens, you know, from nuns. From, I just I had the most amazing mix of people in my life. And, yeah. I, and I was lucky enough to take a little bit from everyone.
0: Now, why does, you know, I think of Boston, I think of uh, Catholicism, and I think of Wahlberg. gangsters. What, why, what? What? The
2: Wahlbergs.
0: Oh, the Wahlbergs, of course, yes. And then the Wahlbergs and New Kids on the Block.
2: But why
0: is it, obviously, the Catholicism, obviously, but why so much gangsta, gangster stuff in Boston?
5: Well, I'll tell you, it's not a myth. It's absolutely true. Yeah. There's the Irish, well, there was. I don't know about anymore. You yeah. know, it's times have really changed. Yeah. Um but there's the, I, there was at the time when I lived there, there was the Irish mafia and the Italian mafia. And I think that um there there were immigrants, mm-hmm. you know, and they were uneducated and they came to America and they had to find their way. Yeah. And I think crime was easy yeah, for yeah. uneducated but you know, Boston is, I mean, has a reputation for being a tough town. It's, it's a, a tough very, town. It really is. I don't know about it anymore. Yeah. I don't go back often, but when it you is leave a very there? tough town. I would say uh, 89, eighty nine, ninety when I yeah. moved to Miami.
0: So when you moved to Miami, were you studying acting when you moved to Miami? No, I was not. No. No. And so how did the acting come about?
5: You know, I grew up, it's funny because, you know, there. so, so when, yeah, I was a teenager. Everybody, you know, all my friends in school were watching like I don't know Molly Ringwald movies, yeah. and and I was watching Female Trouble.
3: Uh-huh. You know, I had no,
5: I had no reference for any of the regular movies that people were watching. I only knew who John Waters was and Cry Baby and
3: yeah.
5: Hatchet Face and all this. So I had like a completely different frame of reference for everything. Um, but I. Um, why? I'm sorry. I No. You, and your question. You,
0: how did you get into acting? Because oh, you were oh. in Miami. So, so
5: I always, wa- so I always loved movies, and yeah. I always watched movies. And I don't know. I, I, my, my aunt and uncle lived in New York City, and I used to go spend a lot of weekends and summers with them.
0: What part of ta- what part town? In they? Upper
5: West Side. Uh-huh. And I also had an aunt Maureen who was a nun, who also lived in a convent. In the Bronx. Uh-huh. And um, my uncle Jimmy, who's now passed away, took me to the theater all the time. And he didn't want to pay for my ticket. So, what he would do is at intermission, he would just say, Go in the theater and stand in the back. No one's going to question an eight year old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, He's probably right. You know, and they never did. And I was terrified. But I would go. I would really just keep pushed So for like until I was like fourteen, I only ever saw like the last half of Annie. <laughs> oh. I saw like the last half of The King and I, the last half of Annie. I had never seen the beginning of any of these shows because he would always shove me in at intermission. Um, so I think I caught the acting. But my aunt Ellen, who obviously I'm named after, was Uncle Jimmy's wife, and uh, she's still alive and lives in Boston, mm. and uh, she tells me a story that she took me to see the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall and when, when I was five or six, and I jumped out of my seat and I said, "They're alive, they're alive!" <laughs> And uh, and so I that think they the second think half that's, of young yes, that's when I caught that's when I caught the bug I guess. Oh, I love
0: that! I love it. So you're in Miami. You're you're tending bar and or waitress in Miami Beach. And then how did you get back to New York? What happened? Well,
5: I knew that I wanted to be an actor. Mm -hmm. You know, when I moved to Miami, I knew that I had aspirations to be an actor. But coming from a working class town, it's not anything I even remotely knew how to approach. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I'm too afraid to move to New York by myself. I don't know anything about Los Angeles or the West Coast. Mm -hmm. I had no relationship to it at all. New York, at least, I had been going since I was a kid. So I felt very comfortable there. Um, were you studying in Miami, studying No, acting? no. I was a cocktail waitress. Mm. So um, I was studying the art of the hustle. Yes. Yes, which was very easy to do in Miami because everyone was so fucked up. Yes. You know, there were so many drugs and, and so much drinking, and I was I'm not really into that stuff. I would just work every night in the club. So I was able to, you know, take all those men for... All their drink money. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And it's such a
0: transient town, especially back... I'm sure it still is a transient town because people come in and out from around the world. People were coming in and out of of Miami. Mm -hmm. So the hustle was real and the hustle was deep.
5: Yes, and all the guys, you know, all the models were down there at that time. And they would have done anything to just be with these models so I used to work the VIP room at the clubs and I would say to the guys like I can get a couple of models to come over to the your table but you're gonna have to buy four bottles of Cristal and you're gonna have to pay me to get into this room Uh so you know I had and then the models made out because they got to drink free all night and the guys made out because they got to drink with models so I guess I was kind of like a pimp
4: Yeah, (laughs) Um,
5: and then I was saving my money um, and knew eventually I would have to make a move. Right. And I worked in Miami for four years as a cocktail waitress. I made a ton of money. Mm. I stuffed it all under my mattress, and mm-hmm. then I took that, and I used that to move to New York City. Yeah. So at least I felt comfortable, like I had a little cushion.
0: And did you, when you moved to New York, did you go to classes, study at the HB Studio? Or? I did.
5: I went to HB Studio, yeah. Um, I, um, I had this great teacher. What was his name? I can't remember, but I remember being irritated in the class because I wasn't getting critiqued. Mm. It kept telling me how good it was. Mm. I was like, this guy's so full of shit. I couldn't possibly this be this good.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And I'm not going to learn anything with you kissing my ass and telling me how good I am. I think that I thought he wanted to sleep with me or something. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like I was learning anything. And then I was bartending also. Mm -hmm. And then um, an agent approached me while I was bartending, a girl. I thought she was trying to pick me up. Mm -hmm. She turned out to be a real agent. She sent me on some auditions. I booked an episode of Law & Order fairly soon, and as soon as I did the Law and Order, I was like, oh, I'm not going to learn anything in acting class. Mm. You know, I was watching Jerry Orbach and, yeah. you know, real actors. And I was like, they're not teaching us in acting class how to hit a mark right. where your light is. Yeah. You know, I I didn't know anything. I I was like, acting class doesn't really teach you anything. Wow. So um, So I never went back. In hindsight,
0: though, in (laughs) hindsight, was it beneficial to go to those classes? I mean, on some level, it was not, not hitting a mark, but the going to those classes, did you learn something there that you still use today?
5: No. No, really? I'm sorry. If wow.
2: that's not, Yeah. No, not everybody gets some. And some yeah. yeah,
5: I mean, I, you know, am such a well. I'm a different, you know, I think it's different for everybody. Mm. You know, I am a well of emotion um, because uh, my life started with a trauma. Mm-hmm. So I have a deep, deep well of emotion. Yeah. And I feel things very, very deeply. You're a Scorpio. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you do, too. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I have this weird intuition. I feel like I, 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 I. I can feel what people feel, and uh, it's just not that hard for me. Yeah. I'm going to ask you
0: more about that. We're going to go to a break. We've got Ellen Pompeo with us. We'll be right back after this.
2: Style. Some of us have it. Some of us obviously don't. But just because a sense of style seems elusive for some doesn't mean it's impossible to attain. And there's no time like the present to discover that style that you never knew you had. And you can with a little help from our friends at Stitch Fix. You guys have heard us talk about this before. It's really fantastic. Stitch Fix has reinvented how we find and buy clothes. Just answer some basic questions about your sizes, your favorite styles, your budget, right from your laptop, your smartphone, or your tablet, and then your personal stylist. I know it sounds bougie, but then they spring into action, hand-selecting five brand new clothing items just for you. And of course, it sounds like something that only the rich and famous can afford, but you can too. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only 20 bucks. 20 bucks. It's waived if you keep all five items, but 20 bucks. And since your personal stylist uses only your preferences to pick your clothes, you are still in complete control if you're a Virgo control freak like me. That's really important. Once your items arrive, you try them on and you only pay for what you keep. If you don't like something or you need another size, just send the items back. No questions asked. And shipping is always free on both ways. This is fantastic. Get your fix whenever you want or sign up to receive scheduled shipments. The choice is absolutely yours. We love Stitch Fix, and we know you will too. Hurry to stitchfix.com slash RU to get started now. Keep all five items in your box and you get 25% off your entire purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash RU, stitchfix.com slash RU. We
0: are back with Ellen Pompeo. You guys know her from Grey's Anatomy. And uh, just w- w- this woman has just revolutionized television in a way that not just as an actor, but as a businesswoman, because man, man, I mean, she's, you know, the, the history books will <laughs> remember her moment here as a real Hustler, who has just turned this business into something that uh, has really worked out for you. Now, okay, you know, before we went to break, we were talking about emotions. Now, there's one thing to be emotional, but there's another thing as an actor to give yourself permission to do it in front of 50 people, part who are part of the union. There's a lighting guy. There's all these people, writers, and all these people. There's another thing to be able to do that. How did you give yourself permission on the set to be so emotional?
5: It's a great question. I don't know. Mm. But I think you'll agree with me that vulnerability is one of the strongest assets we can have. Absolutely. And feel the freedom to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it's cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. Because my emotion is so overwhelming, less now. It was much more, you know, when I was young, mm-hmm. and I had so much angst and so much to work through. And now that, you know, I have kids, and you know, my heart has sort of been healed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was so lucky that I found acting because I, it was very, very cathartic for me. I found a way to make money from all my pain. Yeah, I thought this is fucking genius. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was it, Is it difficult to live with someone whose emotions are so on the forefront like that?
5: You'd have to ask my husband. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean, you know, it's um, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff there. You know. So now, um, do you watch your scenes? Do you once you do a scene, do you go to the um, uh, the camera, the monitor, and the see dailies
5: it? And no, no, we don't really ha- do playback on our show. Mm-hmm. We don't have the time because mm-hmm. we're shooting eight scenes a day. Jeez. So um, we don't typically. If you're directing, if I'm directing, I'll watch a playback. Yeah,
3: of um, yourself. Yes, and of everyone. Of myself. Yeah. yeah.
5: Um. But typically, we don't we don't do playback. How do
0: you feel about watching yourself? Are you able to adjust, or do you just critique yourself? What how what what's the result of of seeing yourself on television?
5: Well, I, I will say now, you know, it's pretty hard to watch myself age on TV. Mm. Um, that's not fun at all.
0: Well, you look great. Thank
5: you so much. Um, but you know, when I started the show. You know, I looked one way, and you know, it happens <laughs> well, to all of us. Fifteen years so, later, yeah. Um, you know, I- I'll tell you that I, I don't love watching myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing that resonates with me now is, I, in, a in, in a, if, and there's any young people listening, I want them to hear this loud and clear. Realize how beautiful you are.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I wish I, uh, you know. I, I, I accepted how, or I um, what's the word I'm looking for I wish I appreciated yeah. how gorgeous I really was yeah
4: right you right. know Isn't I was funny? so
5: gorgeous yeah and this long neck and these delicate features yeah and not to sound like an asshole no 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 but, no, it's a- but you know when I look back now I think oh my god I was so self delicate and gorgeous and I was so self critical yeah all I could look at was a scar yeah. on my face yeah yeah or you know I, I, and 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 man, I, I I wish I appreciated how beautiful Isn't
0: that I was. is funny? Then. It, and you know, you have kids too. And it's how do you tell someone to use that that tool of of appreciation before they lose it? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Because it's I I don't I don't know if there's a way to do that. I don't know if there's is there something someone could have said to you when you were on Law and Order that first job uh, that could have helped you understand that then.
5: No, I think that's another brilliant point you make in question is, no, I I don't think so. I think, and maybe you'll agree with me, I think that comes with age. Of course. With age, you get perspective. Mm -hmm. There are certain lessons you just can't learn before 40.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, you can't. And you have daughters and you tell them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
5: and thank God. And that's another thing. You know, I didn't have, you know, certainly I had sisters and aunts and friends, but, you know, I, I... I didn't have a lot of people imparting that kind of wisdom to me. I, I sort of had to learn a lot myself. Mm-hmm. I will say I have a great friend, Desi, the same guy that mm-hmm. I moved to Florida with, who did say to me one day, you know, he used to beat my face and photograph me when mm-hmm. I was 18 in Boston. And and we used to, you know, watch the Divine movies and everything. And, and he looked at me one day and, and, and he said, you're going to make an amazing 40-year-old.
4: Mm-hmm. And I
5: thought, what a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. And I think of that every single day. Day And I tell him, too, wow. that um, I, that always resonated with me. I never forgot it. And was he not only was he right, but wow, did I use that? Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, it's really fueled me. So I guess the answer
0: to that then is with kids is planting seeds and hopefully one day. Some of that will resonate with them when when they're able to hear that message and when they're able to uh, act on that message. You plant seeds with kids,
4: you know.
5: Yeah, and which uh, confidence I think with kids is everything. To impart confidence, make them feel confident. That's one thing I never had mm-hmm. as a kid. No one was ever telling me how, how great I was or how talented I was, or I, I literally had zero confidence in myself. I was a very skinny kid, you know. I was the only kid in school who didn't have a mother. I mean. Everybody had a mother. Mm -hmm. I was like a complete freak Mm -hmm. not having a mother. Um, And uh, I was really skinny and awkward. And so I I really lacked confidence. So that's like my main focus is to impart confidence to my daughters to to make sure that they know how good they are at things. Mm -hmm. And um, I I involve them in so many things. Um, How did your mother die? uh, She died of an accidental overdose Mm. of painkillers. She had a bad back. She was hit by a car. and mm-hmm. Had a lot of surgeries and gave birth to five kids and dang.
0: And where did you yeah. were the youngest? I'm
5: the youngest, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, uh so did you get to sort of know about her through your older brothers and sisters?
5: Not really. It's too, it was too painful a situation yeah. for everybody. It was yeah. kind of just swept under the carpet and was treated as if she kind of never existed. Wow. Yeah, my father remarried quite soon after, Yeah. way too soon after, and caused even more pain and more damage. Uh, so, Has she ever come to you, your mother? No. No. Um, but I do believe she sends people to me. hmm I I, I believe that she sends people to me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I believe she sent my husband to me. Mm -hmm. I believe she sends everything to me. Wow. You know?
2: I remember reading a story about you meeting your husband, like in a a grocery store.
5: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like that, right? Yeah. So that's an interesting... So my my, uh, best friend from home, Patrice, who's a hairdresser, um, she is... uh, whether she likes it or not, a medium. Uh-huh. You know, She has dreams and she sees things. And she's seen my mother many times in dreams. And her and I were in Whole Foods. She was visiting from Boston. She was doing my hair for a premiere of a movie I was in. And she came out for the week to hang out. We were in Whole Foods. And my husband is also from Boston. And so, we ran, so her, Patrice and I were in Whole Foods. And Chris – My husband heard her voice Uh and said, Patrice, is that you? And they turned around and they started talking to each other. And um, I kind of knew who he was because he was sort of – I knew him from Boston. I knew of him. We had mutual friends. Uh But I had never been introduced to him. And uh, so they talked and I walked away. And she said, that's so weird that you guys never met. I guess it's because you moved to Miami and – But anyway, it's weird that he lives out here now, too. And I said, oh, whatever. Who cares? (laughs) He's a thug from Boston, and I didn't come to California to be a movie star to mingle with thugs from Boston. (laughs) To hell with him. Yeah. So I'm too good for that. Yeah. So then the next day. I was walking on the same street on Fairfax and Sunset Uh in the um, Rite Aid parking lot, and I hear, hey, Ellen, from behind me. And I thought, oh, Jesus, who's this now? Mm -hmm. And I turned around, and it was him. And I said, and he said, it's Chris. You know, remember me from Whole Foods yesterday? I said, yeah. How how did you know that was me? I had big sunglasses on and a cape, and Uh. I had been in a couple of movies, and I (laughs) thought it was really fabulous. (laughs) And he said, how did you know it was me? I said, how (laughs) did you know it was me? And he said, well, you turned your back on me yesterday, so I know what you look like from behind. Of course. <laughs> of course. So snap. I said, good answer. snap. Yes, uh-huh. good answer. And then, you know, funny enough, we honestly were just friends for like almost a year. Mm-hmm. And um, we were such good friends that I started to have feelings for him. And I didn't want to tell him because I thought he was showing n- zero signs mm-hmm. of being interested in me. He never tried anything on me. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Never even batted an eyelash at me. So I thought, well, I can't really, because I'll blow this friendship. He's a great guy, super good friend, and like I'll just embarrass myself. Mm. So we were out at this club, 40 Deuce, one night, Uh and uh, some director guy came up to me and, you know, was showering me with compliments. Then I saw he got very jealous. Uh, And so I said, "Oh, yeah, I got him."
4: Yeah, yeah. and so
5: then I went out into the parking lot, and he was talking to some girl who was telling him she was a belly dancer. Uh (laughs) And I went out and rolled my eyes and said, "Oh, belly dancer, (laughs) please!" (laughs) And so then we kind of knew it was on, but that was was almost a year later.
0: Wow! And what was he doing out here?
5: He was he was working at ICM, the talent agency, um, working for a music agent, Mm
0: -hmm.
5: a talent booker. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Uh, You know, when you you are open and you're open to the frequency of the universe, you know, uh, things fall into place. And now here you guys, how long have you been married?
5: Uh, I've been married 10 years, together 16. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And being open to the frequency of the universe is also something that only with age do you get to, you know, you talked about my mother. So. The first studio movie that I ever did was a movie called Moonlight Mile, and I had similar situation. I had, you know, met Jake Gyllenhaal on the street a few weeks before, and just randomly he sort of gave me a compliment, and I blushed. And in New York, in in LA, in LA, and uh, he wasn't a movie star at the time. You know, he had just done a couple of movies, but they hadn't come out yet, so I had no idea who he was. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks later, I got this call from a casting director, Avi Kaufman in New York, mm-hmm. who I was friendly with, who said, I need you to read for this movie tomorrow. And I looked at the size and I was like, you know, I don't think I'm right for this. I, you know, close to the universe. Mm-hmm. I'm not right for this. Why do you think I'm right for this? I shouldn't audition for this. I'm not a tomboy. Mm-hmm. And she said, Ellen, just go on the audition. Mm-hmm. And so I went on the audition and I walked in the room. And who was there was Jake. Yeah, And um, we had this, you know, unbelievable chemistry. And then, so that was like the universe. And then when I went, the movie was shooting in Boston. Mm. My first studio movie, What Are the Chances? Shooting 10 minutes from where I grew up. Wow. And when I got to the airport, my driver was there to pick me up. And um, I got in the car and he says, he said to me, hey, Alan, I'm, um, I'll say Jimmy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I knew your mom. Wow, and I, I just like I, I, I was like, "What?" And he's mm. like, "Yeah, I went to high school with your mom, mm. and uh, he drove me to work every day for two months, mm. and told me stories every day about my mom." Wow. that's another sign of yeah. her yeah. sending it, somebody. It, and it was then that I sort of started to, you know, say, "Wow, there's something bigger at work here."
4: Absolutely.
5: And 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 when I got when I, you know when I got the offer for Gray's. I didn't want to do television. Television wasn't cool then.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, it, it kind of meant you're n- not going to make it in the movies, right? Right, right. right. So I, I sort of took it as a diss that they were saying you should do this TV pilot. What do you mean I should do a TV pilot? Mm. I've just done all these movies. And my agent said, you know, why are you resisting this? Yeah. It, it's an it's a job. It's an offer. You don't have to audition. Why the resistance? Yeah. Just take the money and run. These things <laughs> never go. You'll do the pilot and you'll never see these people again. Yeah. So I said, okay, I need to pay my rent anyway. Wow. So,
0: is, so Avi Kaufman is a woman? Yes. I had no idea. I've seen yes. the name for years and years and mm-hmm. years. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, now, uh, uh, do, we, do we have a little bit more time for um, – yeah. The producer, he's nodding over there. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about hey, when you when you talk to young actors, you know, I, I know a lot of people who say no to everything, who who not just, you know, going on an audition, but just in life. Just no. Um, what changed for you? When did you finally say, you know what, I'm going to be open to what the universe has for me?
5: My boss, Shonda Rhimes, wrote a book called The Year of Yes. Oh, boy. Wow. (laughs) You know, and um, again, like I said, when we started this podcast, you know, I've been blessed with having brilliant women around me Mm -hmm. in life and and being able. And and I've had, I guess, the inner wisdom to watch and learn and listen. And um, and I think that that. I've learned over time, it's taken me a long time. Mm. A lot of people are Mm self-saboteurs, especially actors. Mm. That's not good enough. I'm better than that. I want to be the lead. Yeah. I want to be in movies. Mm -hmm. I want... Well, I got news for you. If you're that dope... You'll make anything you're in dope. That's right. So you'll elevate. If you're that dope, you'll elevate anything you touch. So what are you so afraid of? Mm -hmm. You want to be the lead. Okay, so do this. Maybe if you're meant to be a lead, you'll be a lead. The universe will come get you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the agent's fault. It's not everyone likes to blame everybody else. Meanwhile, thinking... You know, they're the cock of the walk.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. How long do you think you'll do
5: this show? Grey's Anatomy has um, been I'm on not, 15 yeah, seasons. Not too much longer, to be honest. Um, I, you know, obviously I, I can't announce when I'm ending it yeah, now. Yeah, Um, But, you know, I'd like to end it on a high note. How many countries are you in? 296. Oh,
2: stop. <laughs>
5: so, so even if
0: you ended it, it doesn't end. It goes on forever and ever and ever. We
5: have 319 episodes right now. <laughs> oh, my so, God. And I'm signed. My contract is signed through season 16. Yeah. So I'm contractually obligated yeah. through season 16. If the show does well this year, we will get picked up for sure. another year. Yeah. So I'll definitely do that. If the fans stay with us this yeah. year and we get another season, then um, then I will definitely do season 16 for sure. After that, I don't know. And how many episodes have you directed? Just two. Just two. Yes. Tell me about that. What, um, what is, Do you find pleasure in that? Uh, you know, Debbie Allen, who's one of uh, our executive producers, who's also—I'm so grateful to have such an icon in yes. my life— um, you know, she was the one who was like, you're a director. You need to direct. You're mm-hmm. a director. And I said, you know, I don't want to take the time. I, I, I'm here enough, Debbie. I spend enough time here. I don't need to be here more. And she said, I, I really need you to stretch your wings. I really want you to step out of your comfort zone. You really should do it. And it's true. Mm-hmm. I've been in the same job and, you know, for a long time. And, you know, it is a comfort zone. And there's a lot to be said for stepping out of your comfort zone and doing new things. Um so I thought okay I'll do it. And I did it and it was great experience. And I did it again and it was another great experience. But it is really time consuming and So a lot
0: of a lot more preparation to for, you're yeah. also in that episode. You're, so in you're in directing the episode, yourself.
2: Yeah, Which you're is always the weirdest yourself. concept.
0: Of directing yourself. You're,
2: yeah. Well, yeah. I'm super
5: lucky because Debbie if I'm in a scene Debbie will come and help me you know Debbie's like my mom she's just amazing and she's right over my shoulder all the time ready to catch me if I ever need anything so
0: So, as a director though um, how how do you find the right rhythm the right pace of a scene you know I was watching uh, some of the I was obsessed with the TV show The Americans Mm. and uh, the um, uh, lead guy directed uh, Matthew Rees directed a scene and I could tell an actor directing the scene, he would linger on certain shots a little bit longer than another director might do. Mm -hmm. Who is there to pull you back to say, "Uh, you know, you might want to cut there?
5: Well, that's in the editing, right? Okay. So you can shoot whatever you want. And then the editing process. So like the first episode that I directed Shonda Rhimes let me she aired my editor's cut my cut the okay. director's cut All right. <clears throat> which virtually never happens yeah. right yeah. The, the EPs will always come in <clears throat> and the recut a water the show you Thank it has you not so been
0: open. that one's completely fair. You. I, because I
5: wonder mm-hmm. so see,
0: she, she aired okay. your edit of the show and how did you intuitively know that it was right she knew it was right you knew it was right or she just said I'm going to let you do whatever you want
5: um she, you know, going back to intuition and the mm-hmm. universe, my first ever episode of television that I directed was about a mother dying. It was about my my sister on the show. She has a different mother than me on the mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. and the whole episode was was played by uh, Latoya Jackson. Latanya Jackson. I, now, it, now well,
2: I, I really wish it
0: was Latoya that. Jackson. Right, no, was... That would have been Amazing. brilliant. Play
2: your, 10 Time Emmy Award winning yes, episode.
0: That would have been absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Latoya, agree. you directing Latoya Jackson. <laughs> that would be a dream come true for me, actually.
5: Yeah. Actually. But Latoya Jackson. Jackson.
0: Who is that? Is that. She is S- married to Sam, Sam Jackson. Jackson's wife, yes, yeah. of course.
5: But she is an, an acclaimed actress yes. on her own. She's a brilliant stage actress, and yes. a, a wonderful spirit. And I was lucky enough to have her yeah. play my sister's mother in the episode. And the whole episode was her passing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, intuitively, I just, you know, knew what to do. Yeah. And um, and I was really inspired creatively. I had just a, a head full of ideas mm-hmm. about what I wanted every single scene to look like, what I, what music I wanted, everything. And Shonda let me have that exactly as I made it. Because Shonda's
0: known for putting a lot of um, music in her shows. Those those songs cost a lot of money, like those Stevie Wonder songs. Who did you, what music did you use? Did you use some already recorded music?
5: Yeah, they give you a choice of cleared music. You know, so whatever's cleared, you listen to it, and then you say, let's try this piece. There's very specific rules in Shondaland mm-hmm. about the application of the music,
4: mm.
5: how, you know, the song has to sort of start in one scene and it has to it has to play through the next scene. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly what the rule is now, but there's very specific. Shonda has very specific okay. ideas about the application of the music. I see. Genius. Yeah. Um, she's a genius, obviously. Yeah. 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 And she's a genius in the editing room also, um, because so much of it is done in the editing room. So much mm. of it is created and built and scenes moved around and mm. stories sort of manipulated in the editing room. Did you get the bug? Do you want to continue directing? No you know no, I, I not my show, uh-huh. you know, I did another episode last year, and we had a new show runner Krista Vernoff, mm-hmm. and i didn 't have as much creative control uh-huh. you know Krista was Krista was with the show for the first six years of the show, mm-hmm. and then she left to go work for John Wells and she did Shameless and a, a few other shows, and then came back to Gray 's to run Gray 's because Shonda was stepping away mm-hmm. to her Netflix deal. Mm-hmm. So Krista had very strong ideas because she was with the show from the beginning, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So it was a coming home for her, and she's very passionate and has a lot of strong ideas. So she would say, you know, I want to cut this scene this way, and I want this song over it. I don't like your song. I like this song. Hmm. And, you know, she's the showrunner. She gets final say, and that's okay. But And I'm happy with that, and I just thought, you know— I don't sort of, if I don't get to put 100% in my product out, if I don't get yeah. to show the audience
4: yeah.
5: what, and I don't mean this with any malice, no, I get of it. course. No, why but do if it I if I don't you get to yeah. give them my version, my music, mm-hmm. my song, my vibe, mm-hmm. 100% my vibe? I don't need to be away from my babies right. to do it. Like, yeah. I know I can do it. I did it. So I think directing is, is super fun, but I'd love to direct a pilot. Of a show I produce, a different, something brand new. I'd love to do a pilot or, you know, a movie or something new. But to direct an episode of Grey's, you know, I've done it and I know I can do it. And it's it's not that exciting to me. What's your
2: relationship like with not to be? Obnoxious or rude, but real doctors do you have to have like a medical staff on team? Do you consult? How does that work?
5: we do um we have amazing um we have like fellows surgical fellows that come and um write on the show or give them story ideas or help us make sure we do things right. So I love doctors. I mean they're really brilliant. And they're complicated and complex and they're doing super inappropriate things in surgeries. They're playing (laughs) fucking heavy metal music while they're cutting open your heart. They're screaming at nurses. I mean the stories are, and I had a couple of nannies who were nurses. And I mean surgeons are brutal. They're ruthless. They're abusive. You know, not all of them, but yeah. some of them, and they're they're real whack jobs. A yeah. lot of them because they're just brainiacs, right? Yeah. Um. So I, I love doctors. I think they're fascinating. And
0: so have, you've been in operating rooms. You've seen actual operations. You weren't grossed out by it. No problem. You.
5: I mean, I so two of my children were born via surrogate, so I was in both of those births. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's it's intense to see how casual doctors are while they're cutting open a chest or a stomach or, you know, they're talking about the pizza they had the night before and you're just like, what? And the way they pull on the skin is like something. I don't know if you've watched surgery shows, but the way they pull on the skin and the way they rip babies out, it's just like, oh, my God, you think they're going to rip that baby in half? Yeah. The human body is so much more flexible than you think. But then you you get why people are so sore the next day because you have all these metal instruments and they're tugging sure. and pulling. And when they sew you together, it's you know it's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. I could never do it in real life.
0: Yeah, yeah.
5: Well, um, it's just an interesting thing because uh, you know
0: I've I've actually been in an uh, uh, operating room and I was surprised that I wasn't skeeved out by it. I was surprised that I was able to uh, keep my composure and actually it became. Um, not It wasn't as a matter of fact. Actually, I had such reverence for what was happening in that room. And that, you know, it's the Scorpio in me took over. And I look, I was like, there is a human body here that is between... Life and death. It's in sort of purgatory, and it was important for me to respect this thing. And, uh, uh, and I was actually saying prayers for this one. I was Can
5: you talk about the circumstances? Like, well, why well, were you in an OR? Well, it's not well, easy. To, no, it's no. Not easy to get in an OR. Well, no. I'll tell you. <laughs> It's not what you think it is. By well, the way, Rue has the most perfect nose I've ever seen. I'm sitting here staring at your goddamn nose. Well, it's been it contoured
0: within a life of its... Uh, no, 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 know. no,
5: darling. Yeah. It's perfect. Anyway.
0: Well, which leads us into why I have such a perfect nose is that I... <laughs> this is my real nose, but I was uh, hosting a television show called Good Work. It was all about plastic surgery. And the, the other uh, co-host of the show was Dr. Dubrow, who's a plastic surgeon. And we did a segment on our show... Where uh, I got to come into an operating room and watch him give someone a facelift, which Michelle and I are obsessed with plastic surgery. I Michelle's had minimal plastic surgery, and um, I've had no plastic surgery, but I've had some fillers and some Botox and things like that. But But, no surgeries. But no surgeries. Um, But I was in an operating room to watch someone get a facelift. She got a full facelift, a brow lift, a chin, uh, a chin implant and lots of stuff and um you know i had to wash my hands for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and do the whole thing and he said listen if you're going to get sick make sure you don't (laughs) point it in the direction of the body and if you feel like you're going to faint think to go backwards not on top of the body so i I didn't know how i would react i got in there and the panic when i'm in a panic situation i am calm and this was a panic situation because this person is between life and death. They're in well, under no
2: well they're alive. Well they're
0: alive, but they are under just um, sedated
2: heavily. They're Anesthesia, sedated yeah. and but it could
0: go either way at that point. So I was very calm. And he was cutting the skin. It did not skeeve me out at all. And
5: it doesn't bleed as much as you think. It doesn't bleed. It wasn't bleeding at all,
0: actually. And he was going under her skin and he was tightening up some of the muscles. And I got to meet her about three weeks later. And and he told her that I was praying for her and sending loving, healing energy to her uh, during the operation. And actually, I I had everyone sort of um, say a prayer together to help her heal better. Um, It was beautiful. It was one of the most important uh, moments in my life to witness this beautiful thing and she did not know I would be in there but she did come on our television show about three weeks later it took
5: only three weeks to heal uh, you know well, I was she's going to heal yeah. more how old was she? was she? she was
0: 53 okay she's 53 and I was told um, years ago I was told that you, you're supposed to get your first facelift at 45
5: oh dear mid, mid I'm, facelift I'm late <laughs>
0: Really, <laughs> and she came. She, the woman came to our show. She was fifty-three. Three weeks later, she looked fantastic, and I could tell when he was operating on her that he was doing a good job, because the incisions, he, the way he lined them up. Because he took about, he took about a half inch, maybe more, out of her face. That's and, it. And maybe a little bit more, yeah. actually. Um, and I could tell the way he was lining up the incisions and, and sewing her together that it was good work. That's where there the name came from. Listen, yeah.
5: I have to say, you know, doing this show for this long, and I don't know, you know, there is no such thing as a small surgery. Right, right, That's right. Know, it's a ballsy move.
0: Absolutely, it's
5: you know, to to get yourself put under anesthesia, anything can happen. That's
0: why I said you're between life and death. You really anything are.
5: Anything can go wrong yeah. at any point. Freak things happen all the time. That's right. And you literally can die having plastic surgery. And so it's like, wow, do you really want to risk your life for vanity, and yeah. you know, it's it's more serious. I think that cosmetic surgery now is taken so lightly. You see all these young kids sure. altering their faces, and it's so disturbing because I think there's 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 like a lightness to it now that people don't. And and the doctors are just making money hand over fist, yeah. so they don't yeah. care.
4: Yeah, but
2: just it's willing to take the risk. Yeah, because anything can go wrong when you walk out in the street. You're right. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. they chances are way more than not. Things are gonna be fine. Right. And at the end of the day they wanna look the with it they, they yeah. Look. Yeah, but you know, obviously,
0: and there is a There's a there's a fine line between thinking that uh, a surgery will make your life, you know, rainbows and butterflies for the rest of your life. Because a lot of people hang uh, vanity on on that shelf of that that oh, everything's going to be great once I get when, this. Yeah. You know, right. and that's yeah. the that's really the problem. Because I, we, you know, we love plastic surgery. We haven't gotten to that place no, yet,
2: but we're not far away. Well, you know, <laughs> listen
0: if. I'm, Um, if I, the problem is I don't have hair out of drag and you know, when men get facelifts and we've seen several movie stars who've had facelifts, male facelifts, um, it doesn't go so well because women at least have hair and can put makeup on every day.
5: But when you have, have you thought of doing something? I, I'm too scared. Yeah. I was just, I'm
2: not brave enough. Because
5: honestly, it's like, I, you know, there's, there's a couple of factors, one, I am I, kind of obsessed with death. I think it's because of my job. Maybe because my life started with my mother's death mm-hmm. that I think about death a lot. I always think something's going to happen. I never get on a plane and think I'm going to make it to mm-hmm. the other side. Really? Ever. Yeah, really? yeah. Um, I'm kind of a doomsday <laughs> in that way.
2: I understand that though. That's just um, neurotic So,
5: and I and I'm too scared because I make my living with my face. Yes. And with the HD TV now oh, and honey. the digital film, you know, every little thing shows. Yeah. I mean, I don't put anything – I'm too scared
2: yeah, to, yeah. to do
5: anything to my face. Because it's going to yeah. change the way you look. It's totally going to change the way you look. I don't see anybody on TV that shoots Botox or does anything that I don't see. Yeah, not me that too. it's not going to look
2: good. You just see it. You just Yeah, see yeah, it. yeah,
5: yeah. You yeah. see it. But and all, if it
0: doesn't work for the character, you know?
5: Yeah, and, and, and you can't emote. You know, your face yeah. has to move and, you know, and, and I think there's, you know, more than anything there's a psychological component to – you have to be okay with aging. Yes. A little bit. Yes. Because you'll I lose agree. your fucking mind. Yeah. If you if if you know, if if your looks are what was holding your brain together, you're gonna lose them. Yeah. And you're just gonna be a mess. Yeah. So I think there's something to be said for psychologically being okay with your looks changing. Absolutely. It's not easy, but that's not to say I'll never do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really losing my jawline as we speak. <laughs> um <laughs> That's the but, first thing to go, the um, neck and the jaw. You know, I find intermittent fasting and staying off carbs helps that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I will never say never, but right now um, I will.
0: Well, a minute ago, and I know we have to go in a minute, but uh, we were talking about getting older and, and that intuition and learning how to hear what the universe's stage direction is. Something that nobody talks about with getting older is your intuitive... Prowess, your ability to read the room and, you know, get a a reading on the landscape. Nobody talks about how uh, well honed that 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 tool becomes as you get older. Have you noticed that?
5: Yeah. How smart you are. How smart you are. How you can read the landscape. Because you've seen so much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know how your body, your pH balance, your body reacts to certain situations, uh, how intuition comes into your life. I'm sure as an actor, too, that becomes something that you pay attention to in terms of how emotions come up and how you ride and sort of create artistry using your emotions.
5: Yeah. I mean, I've become so much more confident. There's a lot of focus on. Aging and how we look, but no one talks about the benefits, which is that I'm just so worldly, worldly, worlds apart more confident than I ever was in my 20s or 30s. I do things now that I would have never done. I ask people for things I would have never asked for. Mm. I know how to come in and handle a situation. I know how to confront someone, you know, peacefully and thoughtfully and express how I feel and express – you know things in in an adult way that I that I would have never had the confidence to do before I have mm-hmm. the confidence now to be myself and to be truthful mm-hmm. and to um which is something that you, you don't have when you're young
0: yeah you don't have you know they say um Youth is wasted on the young, and uh, it's <laughs> true. How
5: amazing would it be if we could look like that, and know what we I know, know? I know? You know? I know,
0: it's crazy. Well, Ellen Pompeo, thank you so much for joining us. We're, they're calling us back to the judges' table right now, but uh, everyone's going to enjoy hearing you talk about your life and your journey. And we're so proud of you that you have had the courage to do your thing and to be this pillar. In a business that is not known for lifting women up, here you are, this really successful, talented woman who is bringing other women up with you, and it's just really—not only is it admirable, but you are not only uh, you are a hustling, hustling hero, <laughs> and we love that.
5: Thank you,
2: Ru. I love you. Thank,
5: Thank
0: you, baby. You so I love you back.
2: Until, Until next, next time. time. Bye. Bye. <man>. Can I get an Amen?
0: If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an Amen? And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Amen.